What's up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. Sorry I didn't get an episode up last week. Um, had, uh, had a little busier than normal, or I guess uh, a different set of circumstances, let's say, last week. Um, so a little bit of a uh, issue with my vehicle. I got hit by another car, so that sucked. Um, just going through that whole process is always uh, a headache. Thankfully, like no serious injuries, back soreness, neck soreness, stuff like that. But um, aside from that, like I'm good. Um, can't say the same for my car. You know what I mean? So that whole going through the insurance and everything is always, it's always a little bit of a, uh, it's a mental struggle. That's for sure. So I was a little bit off my game last week. So my apologies there. Um, the plan has been to go over how my training has been since doing an update with Ambrose, which I did actually a couple weeks ago, and uh, then kind of got off, went a little bit off the rails with uh, my training last week, and things have just been a little strange, so my apologies on that front. So today, now we're kind of getting back to it, wanted to go over uh, really some books that I've been reading and that I'm planning to read and uh, discuss some of the key points that I'm that I'm learning from those books. So I, you may have all heard me mention it a few times already, but um, Running with the Buffaloes is an absolutely fantastic book for anyone who, really for anyone who's involved in sports in general, but specifically within endurance sports and running. Uh, just to get in, inside the mind of a high-level coach and some high-level athletes and really see what an entire season looks like. Um, so it takes place, uh, it's by uh, Chris Lear, I believe, I'm pretty sure, and uh, it follows the 1998 uh, Colorado University um, Buffaloes, the cross-country team for a little bit of their preseason and then all the way through the season and, and, uh, specifically, uh, Adam Goucher, who went on to be a phenomenal, uh, he was already a phenomenal high school and collegiate athlete, but had a, a pretty outstanding, uh, professional career as well. And, uh, yeah, just that whole story, just, it was extremely enlightening to get some perspective about uh, a way of training that emphasizes really accumulating volume at all costs, like for the most part. Um, it's without having Mark Wetmore here to, you know, have a discussion. Um, so I hope I'm not straw manning his perspective, but, and even if I was like the results speak for, for themselves, 
um, he's had tons of success, incredible success, where the emphasis is never really on anaerobic uh, training, with the exception of maybe the last couple weeks of the season. Up until then, it's really just how much mileage can you handle and how long can we keep you there. So accumulating a lot of mileage has always been, I guess, my struggle, my Achilles heel, if you will. I'm not a big fan, as most people who know me know. I don't like to run a lot of mileage, and the long run is is sometimes the bane of my running existence, let's say. So to read about Adam Goucher doing 20, mu- 20 plus mile long runs every Sunday at, you know, six to 7,000 feet elevation on Magnolia Road in Boulder um, and running, you know, sub six pace per mile. Like, I'm like, okay, uh, context. This is somewhat useful to know. Um, you know, running over a hundred miles a week for, you know, 10 plus weeks of the season. Um, and who knows how many weeks leading up to the season, uh, doing all that running will get you in shape. That's for sure. Um, it's kind of a high, high risk, high reward scenario in my, in my mind, from my perspective, just because. If you're doing that much volume, that much training, uh, like by definition, overuse injuries come from overuse. And the more of the same movement pattern you do, like running, the more volume you accumulate, the closer you get to some sort of overuse injury. And in this book, they detail, you know, quite a few of the athletes having stress fractures or, um, I think it's a neuroma, some sort of some sort of an issue with one of the athlete's feet. Um, they all feel beat up. You know, there's only a couple times where they're like, "Oh wow, I felt really good." You know, during today's workout, they would crush these workouts. You know, like probably eight or nine times out of ten. Uh, but some workouts, like they, you know, trying to show up after doing 15 miles the day before and. You know, there are for the whole week, maybe they're already at 80 miles and trying to do some higher level, you know, aerobic threshold or anaerobic threshold work. And it's just like the body just doesn't have the gas. It's just not there. The body's beat up. Um, the other kind of issues that I saw that, you know, now in 2021 stand out that are like, I can't believe this. But things that maybe were not as well known back, you know, in 1998 were uh, the importance of nutrition. So um, there were times where, (laughs) like a lot of these athletes were coming into school, into the cross-country season, you know, weighing a buck 55, a buck 50, somewhere in there, maybe a little less. And when they finish the season, they're eight to 10 pounds lighter. Like, you know, multiple times they're, 
they're told like, hey, you're, you know, you're a little overweight. You're kind of, for an elite runner, you're fat, you know, and they might already be, you know, 5%, 6% body fat. So the emphasis on getting to as lean as possible, um, I think is a misplaced goal, perhaps. Um, there were times where they were put on a strict 2000 calorie diet. There were times where some of the athletes like Goucher would not eat lunch. Um, and I'm not sure some of, sometimes it was because eating within a certain window of time, uh, gave him some, I think some GI issues during the workouts. Um, but he was, he was, uh, there were times where they would talk about his pre, not pre-race meal, but the, the meal the night before and how he would, he'd go eat a steak and he wouldn't finish it. Like, so things like that, that are just like, man, okay. So we're not maximizing our training intensity, uh, because we're not even remotely close to calorie needs. I mean, if you're doing hundred miles a week and you're eating 2000 calories or less, like these aren't, you know, large individuals. So their basal metabolic rate is probably, uh, not very high. But then when you add in that activity factor, like all of them probably needed four five, 6,000 calories a day based off the amount of running they were doing and they just weren't getting that. So I think that's one thing that ultimately led to uh, prevalence of injury, of overuse injury. Um, so it's one of those things that's hopefully, uh, hopefully changed quite a bit uh, for me, for my practice, for and just for what I do as an athlete. Um, my priority is, you know, one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. Like that's kind of uh, that's a standard every day. I'm shooting for as much protein really as I can get. Um, and then, you know, uh, at least at around my maintenance level of calories, uh, at least 25 to 30% of that goal coming from fat. So, and then with the rest coming from carbohydrate, like they just, they weren't fueling optimally. They weren't recovering optimally. Um, I'm sure without enough calories, but really without enough fat, their hormones were probably subpar. And what's interesting is like this post high school, collegiate, early twenties, mid twenties age range, like you can kind of get away with a lot just because the body is I believe especially resilient kind of in that window where you don't have to have everything perfect for the body to still achieve a certain outcome. And that's what's crazy is Goucher won NCAA Nationals that year uh, by a lot. Like he's, he smoked the field. And earlier in the season, he'd raced some of these same guys that he would be then going up against, uh, guys who 
you know, our Abhi, Abhiraman, um, Bernard Lagat, um, guys who went on to have amazing professional careers. Earlier in the season, he wasn't beating them. Like he just, he was training through those races, accumulating that volume of mileage. And then at the end, when he finally got to rest a little bit and was, you know, in a, in a better mental state, like he smoked everyone. He had, you know, some amazing racing at the end of the season. So despite what I would consider very, very, very less than optimal nutrition and recovery outcomes, when he finally got a little bit of rest, his body did adapt amazingly. So allowing him to just throw down. So I think that was really interesting. But what I've learned quite a bit from this book, and I can't recommend it highly enough just because it is a, it's a phenomenal book. I, I got it on audiobook and I listened to it twice in a row. Like I listened to the whole thing and then started over and listened to the whole thing again, just because I didn't really feel like I had a decent understanding of all the, all the guys on the team. Um, you know, until I sort of got to the end. So then I wanted to make sure I went back and then listened to the whole thing again so I could really understand each of each of the guys on the team. Um, it really only follows the guys' team, even though Wetmore was the women's coach as well. And so there's a little bit of overlap because he does, you know, interact with both guys and girls' teams at the same time. Uh, but really, the book just follows the guy's side. Um, so, yeah, overall, I learned a lot about uh, things that I could have done differently when I was in high school and college, really, really just college. Um, how I, I really didn't put enough emphasis on accumulating more mileage. My emphasis was, uh, I'll focus on quality. Quantity is... Okay, but that's for the guys that don't have natural speed. That's for the guys who aren't going to be running the 800, 1500, 3K chase. I need to be, you know, I need to work, I need to prioritize quality. I need to get some speed work in and I need to, you know, stay in that window. Um, but I think I was missing out on a lot of uh, potential times potential fast races because I, you know, I was probably top, topping out around 65 miles per week during cross country. I don't think I went much higher than that. Maybe my highest week was, I want to say like 72, 73. And I just felt like garbage the following week. So that week and the following week, uh, was just trash. But, um, if I had stuck with it, if I had pushed through that, you know, uh, how different would things have been? So um, it's it's interesting looking back and trying to have a like uh, an actual critical eye about what my training was like and what I could have done differently. Um, it's it's easy to pick out you know some things and just be like, well, I wasn't running enough. I should have run more. I should have been doing more mileage. Um, and I'm, I'm not unhappy about 
you know, my college career. I'm pretty happy with how some seasons went and uh, not as happy about other seasons. Um, but yeah, that was just one of those things that um, I think it's good to reflect on and say, okay, what things did I do well? What things could I have done differently? And hopefully I can then translate that to, you know, to my high school athletes and, and you know, the next generation of runners. The one other thing that I will mention is uh, what more discouraging his athletes, his male athletes from lifting weights. The idea being men, the men were probably already strong enough. Not sure why the assumption was, okay, you're strong enough. As long as you can run, you're strong enough. Um, why? I think the argument was like, they'll bulk up too much. They'll have too much muscle mass. And that in turn will lead to more potential issues just because now you're carrying more weight. Um, but again, this was 98. Like there was not a whole lot of, there weren't too many people in the endurance community who were lifting, uh, from the perspective of I'm doing this, you know, twice a week as an injury prevention modality or people who are like, Oh, I'm going to do these specific exercises as a form of sport performance. So across the board, I'm sure any lifting that was done was much more along the lines of like bodybuilding type training, which I'm not sure how these guys were quote unquote bulking up being in such a huge calorie deficit. I think it was, I think it's the idea of if you lift weights, you're going to get bulky. And so Wetmore actively discouraged the men from doing that. So the women, on the other hand, I think they were encouraged to lift just because they saw the benefit. So, um, but yeah, I think across the board, if you're not doing some sort of resistance training, then only stressing your bones from running, I tend to think is not enough. So stress fractures, you can, I think you can prevent some of that just by participating in some sort of resistance training two to three times a week. Doesn't have to be crazy, but, um, so yeah, that's, it's easy for me to, you know, kind of sit back and, like I said, criticize Mark Wetmore because he's not here to defend himself. But at the end of the day, you know, they've won a women's national championship as a team. I'm pretty sure men's and women's team, and then also men's and women's individual titles. So, uh, and they're every year they're putting out phenomenal athletes. Um, you know, Emma Coburn, Shalea Kipp, who's been on the podcast. She was a Buffalo. So, um, yeah, they, uh, they put out some amazing athletes and I don't think the training has changed up all that much with regards to like their foundational blocks, which are accumulate mileage, get a lot of miles. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of that phenomenal book. I'm sure I'll 
read it again, listen to it again. In fact, I was in a half price books and I was like, you know, I think I would like the hard copy as well or like the, the physical book. And so I got that and then um, loaned it to a friend. So it's getting some good use already. So what is next on the, on the reading list? Um, I just got uh, The Science of Running by Steve Magnus. So I will begin that audiobook soon. I'm really excited to kind of dig into that and look into what he believes is or what he interprets the science to, to say about running. Um, so I'm really pumped about that. And at the same time, I'll uh, show you two other books that I'm looking into. So I've got Bowerman and the Men of Oregon. Uh, so if you are familiar with track and field at all, then you probably know Bill Bowerman, who was this legendary coach at University of Oregon, and he was also uh, one of the co-founders of Nike So with, uh, with one of his athletes. So this is by Kenny Moore, who was actually um, one of Bowerman's runners. So I'll just give you a little tidbit if you're, if you're still listening. So... On the back, it says, no man has affected more runners in more ways than Bill Bowerman. During his 24-year tenure as track coach at the University of Oregon, he won four national team titles, and his athletes set 13 world and 22 American records. He also ignited the jogging boom, invented the waffle sole running shoe that helped establish Nike, and coached the U.S. track and field team at the 1972 Munich Olympic Games. So... Quite the story. He was Prefontaine's coach among, you know, many, many others. Like I said, it's 13 world records and 22 American records while he was while he was coach. So really excited to get into that and uh, see what that's all about. And then this one, which I'm pretty pumped about. So it's uh, how to make yourself poop. And 999 Other Tips All Runners Should Know by Megan Nikita. So I'm pretty pumped about this as well, just because uh, everybody needs, you know, to know how to, how, to, how to make yourself poop, I guess, especially if you're a runner. You know, we, all, we always joked about uh, the one pump dump uh you know, before you head to the start line, just to a get a little bit lighter, but also uh, to help help deal with the nerves. Sometimes that would get things moving. So, yeah, I'm excited to jump into those two and see what I can learn, and then hopefully share that information with y'all. So that's uh, the podcast this week. We will pick things up next week. Um, I do, I do have some guests on the horizon for the near future, so hopefully we'll get back to that. I, I hope you guys aren't just sick of me talking, um, but if you don't like it, I mean, nobody's making you watch or listen, I guess. So um, that being said, I do appreciate it. I do appreciate y'all doing this, so um, I'll continue to get hopefully get better at it as, uh, as time goes on, but man, two years in still going.
So that's pretty exciting. All right, y'all. I will uh, catch up with y'all soon. Stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.